All right, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're watching online. This is week two of a series we just called Anyone and Everyone. And if you thought this is probably a bad way to start a sermon, you thought last week was uncomfortable, this week's just going to be even more. So it's the right reason we're only doing it for two weeks. So because if I did this any longer, you just wouldn't come. So I'm just being honest this morning so you can understand where we're going to be. It's a passage of scripture that you probably have breezed over, so haven't I, lots and lots of times. And I'm just learning that if I go, oh yeah, I already know what's in there, and I breeze it over, it's probably an indication I don't know, and I should slow down and read something because I'm going to miss something really, really important. So here's what we've been talking about, that the Gospels are unmistakable, that the good news is for anyone and everyone. Everyone is included. Nobody's excluded. Nobody's left out. This good news, this Gospel is for every single person. Now, why is that important for us? Because it really makes sure we understand what type of church we are going to be. It means we shouldn't make it difficult, and we shouldn't include, exclude anyone. Everybody gets included. Now, this is really important, because what type of church are we going to be? That's been our theme for this year. That's how we started. What type of church are we going to be? And we started with that whole scene that most of us have just read through and thought, Jesus gets angry one day, walks in the temple, just starts throwing tables over. And we don't understand how deep meaning that is. He walks into the court of the Gentiles. By the way, that's all of us in the room, probably most of you online. It's all of us. He walks into that court. And that court, which is reserved for those farthest on the fringes, is the one they can't come in because... All the money changers are there and all the sacrifice people are there and and they're dealing with money and they're ripping people off and Jesus, get out of here. I want to make sure everybody's included and everybody gets to connect to my father. That's what he was about and so we want to be about that this year and so we've just been asking that question. What do we do with people? What type of church are we going to be? One that is make sure that the gospel is for anyone and everyone that nothing is in the way of people connecting with God. Or are we not? And if we're not, we could just be honest this morning. Um, we will go out and change the sign on the front to Thrive Country Club, okay? And you can pay your dues. And we'll have, I don't know if it's not green fees, it's chair fees. And we'll just operate according to that. And we'll just do what everybody wants. And we'll just try to make it as comfortable as possible. That's the alternative to doing things the way Jesus would like us to do it and make sure everyone is included. So that leaves today this word you've probably run across in Scripture times and you're like, uh, I, I, I don't know about it. It's the word unclean. If you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, this is where you get to Leviticus and go, what is this? Why, why are they talking about all this different stuff? I don't understand it. There's something really important about it. There's something really important about what Jesus does with people in his day and age, according to the Levitical laws, the book of Leviticus, who were considered unclean, what he does for them. Now, I want to make sure we all understand this for a moment. There were many reasons, and you need to understand that just about everybody would have had a time of being unclean. To, to make sure you understand this, if you killed a bug, you were unclean. Who swatted a fly recently, right? Uh, th there were so many reasons you could be unclean that everybody would have experienced it sometime in their life. Everybody would have experienced it. 
here's the problem of what happened with this. It turned into a category of people, and people began to be identified by it. Now, you're going to see how this happens, and you're going to see this in our story this morning. All of a sudden, it's not the person being, being, uh, who's unclean. We're not even told his name. We are identified by his disease, by the thing he's suffering from, is the whole way he's been identified. And this happens way too often because it's just easier to label people. It's just easier. We all do it. You have been labeled, whether you know it or not, okay? Somebody has read your posts on Twitter or Facebook, and they have labeled you. Oh, that person is this. That person is that. That person loves this party. That person loves this president. That person loves these people. That person hates these people. We've all had it happen to us, okay? Because that's what we all do. We just kind of label people, and we are not the first people to do it. They started to identify people by the things they were suffering from, the things that were happening in their life became their entire identity. And we're going to be questioned this morning, is this what we do? Are we doing the same thing? They were suffering, and instead of helping, they were excluded. Instead of reaching out and saying, how do we help these people who are in this category because of this thing they have, instead of doing it, it was, uh, go, leave, go outside. In fact, they, they probably had their own towns, they had their own communities, and that's what they got resorted to. They were just, forget who they are, push them aside, push them to the fringes, get them out of our way. We don't want to deal with them. And instead of helping, they got excluded. And the question is going to be today, do we do the same thing? Because I need to make sure everybody understands this. The Imago Dei, that's just the official name of it, is that we were created in the image of God. Do you realize everybody you see, everybody you run into, every single person on Twitter and Facebook that drive you crazy is all created in the image of God. They were all created in the image of God. You don't run across somebody that God said, nope, nope, they're out, they're out, they're excluded. Everybody was. And just because you happened to be unclean, you were suffering from something, you did something that made you unclean, that doesn't mean all of a sudden God said, oh, well, you're, you're out, you're out, you're not part, you're not made in my image anymore. Nope, nope, still in the image of God, still in the image of God. It never ends. Every person we meet is created in the image of God. That should cause us to look at people differently. By the way, that should also cause us to look at ourselves differently than maybe we do. We were created in the image of God. So here's the three questions we're going to ask this morning. What does Jesus do? Who are our unclean? Some of want us to think about. And what are we going to do about that? Okay? First one's probably the easiest question to ask, okay? The rest of them are going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable this morning, and that's okay. If you're going to be uncomfortable anywhere, might as well come to church and be uncomfortable. It's just, it, it'll work just fine, okay? So, what does Jesus do? Matthew chapter 8. And in Matthew chapter 8, this is where Jesus is coming down after the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at this fall, because it's, it's really, really interesting. So many different parts to it. And if you haven't read this portion before, or you skimmed over it, um, we're just going to stop and we're going to reflect on this. Because it tells us exactly what Jesus did next. 
So he gets done with the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Huge crowd there. Everybody's listening to him. He comes down from the mountain, and large crowds followed him. Big crowd was there, right? They're all listening to the sermon. This is great because now, and this was what would have been expected in Jesus' day. What would have been expected is now he's come down off the mountain, and now he's going to practice everything he preached. They didn't expect him to come down and do anything else except everything he talked about, now he's going to do it, and we're along for the ride. So it's a little different than, than we're used to. Okay, We're used to sermons, and we all go home. They had a sermon, and they all went and followed him and said, okay, now what are we going to do all week? Okay, Now what are we going to participate in? So they're all coming along. They come down from the mountain. And the leper. Okay, who is the leper? Somebody with leprosy. What has happened to that person? They're no longer a person. We're never told their name. We're never told anything about them, except what? They have a disease. They have a disease. And by the way, some of your newer, more modern translations are picking up that leprosy isn't just what we call it today, Hansen's disease. It meant any type of skin disease. It covered a whole variety of different things. And you can read that in the book of Leviticus if you're bored and, and want to read about it or working through the Bible in a year. You'll read all about those. So, he has some sort of skin disease. Don't know if it's our modern-day Hansen's disease that we call leprosy or it's something else. But first thing, comes down off the mountain, huge crowd follow him. This is going to be great. What's the rabbi going to do? And here comes a leper. And they would have freaked, okay? Because he would have been told, according to Levitical law, do you know what he is saying? Unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you think of anything worse, okay, than to, than to go... You walk into Walmart, okay, and you just have a megaphone, and you're telling everybody, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everybody just parts, right? Now, it might be nice to shop with nobody around you, but it would just be embarrassing, wouldn't it? And that's what they had to do. So that's what this guy is doing. And probably the crowd's going, oh, oh, this isn't starting off very well. And they're all running away, and they don't know what to do. So a leper approached. He bowed low before him, and this is what he said. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Isn't that interesting? Instead of asking just for specific healing, he asked to be made clean. He is tired of being unclean. He's tired of being away from his family. He is tired of being ostracized. He's tired of walking around and telling everybody, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Stay away, stay away, stay away. He's just sick of it. So the thing he wants Jesus to do for him is to make him clean. Watch the next verse. You've probably breezed through this. I did all the time. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, we've stopped right there. He did what? What's the one thing you're not supposed to do with somebody who's unclean? Touch them. Exactly. Now, let me tell you, if any of the crowd is still with him at this point, they all take off. They all take off because Jesus just did what nobody else would do in his day. And by the way, the book of Leviticus doesn't say you cannot touch them. It says if you do, you are also unclean. This is going to be a big point we're going to run into. What is Jesus willing to do for, for this man who is stuck, who is lost, who is far away from everything? He's been pushed to the fringes. He's been left alone. Look what he's willing to do for him. And he touched him, and he said, what? I am willing. Be clean. 
And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately his leprosy is cleansed. Now, look what Jesus asked him to do. He asked him to go back and follow the law. Jesus said, see that you don't speak to anyone, but show yourself to the priest. That's what you need to do. And bring the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony. That you have been, you have been cleansed, you are clean now. There is a sacrifice that you offer. Go through all of that and then go live your life. You are now clean. And he continues on. Now, there's all sorts of speculation about this. Did Jesus then, because Luke, when Luke tells this story, right after, you know what it says? Jesus withdrew himself. Maybe he did. Because he did what, you know, what nobody else would do, but he made himself unclean to do that. Now, I want to make sure I under, you understand this. Unclean and sinful are not equal signs. Just so we all understand that. You're saying Jesus was unclean. Jesus chose to be unclean. Yes. That's not the same as sinful. Okay? When you look at all those laws about what made you unclean, it didn't make you sinful because that happened to you. You got that. That took place. So they're not equal here. But look what Jesus is willing to do. He didn't concern himself with being unclean. Do you understand why the gospel writers are so blown away by this? that the first thing he would do after his largest sermon and the biggest crowd ever is to go and do something that would have blown their minds. They would have gone, what in the world is he doing? Who is this man? Who is this person? I can't believe he is doing it. But you need to understand, he did not concern himself with that. Levitical laws did not say you couldn't. It said if you did, you were also that. And Jesus didn't concern himself. He's actually willing to be unclean. So how have we categorized people? Here's one of those uncomfortable questions. How have we done this where we have just categorized people? And it's no longer that they are Imago Dei. In fact, what we have done is de-Imago Dei them. And I'm not even sure that's a phrase. I just made it up. Because we use this phrase, we dehumanize people, but it's bigger than that when we understand who follow Jesus that we are created in the image of God. That means we are doing something far greater. We are stripping them of being made in the image of God. We're just stripping that away. And Jesus is like, we're going to change this, guys. Okay? All you people who were listening thought, oh, what a wonderful sermon. <gasps> Jesus, what a wonderful sermon. Let's go down the mountain. Let's see what happens. Oh, no. Oh, is this what you were talking about? Yeah, it's exactly what I was talking about. We are done de-embagodaying people. I want to make sure everybody understands they were created in the image of God. They are loved by God. And I am here to show them that and to ultimately die in their place and rise again for their salvation. And I want to make sure everybody understands that. So, who are the unclean? Those who are suffering, who have been excluded in our day. Think of those stories. Think of the things that, that you see that people might fit in to this category. That, that we've just identified them. We have kind of stripped them of being created in the image of God. We've taken what is happening in their life, what they're suffering with, and we use this identifying 
uh, characteristic. And we've labeled them, and we've pushed them into a category somewhere, and we don't think it's our responsibility to actually engage them and do what we can do for them. Who have we changed the identity from? From created in the image of God to being unclean. That's what I want us to think about. There was a news story this week. Totally stumbled on by accident, so I'm going to call it a God thing. Because it, it, it showed me one of the places this has happened in the past. And because, okay, and I'm not trying to put a blanket statement of condemnation. Because things weren't handled very well, it gave a place for the enemy to get in and create a whole big problem that we've been dealing with for 50 years. Okay, so I'm waiting for the weather to come on. I don't know why I'm just going to be depressed, right, by, by watching it, going, it doesn't get any better than this. What the world is going on, okay? Uh, so doing that, getting ready for that, and there, there's a news story. This news story went back to uh, interviewing women, most of them late 60s, maybe uh, early 70s, talking about how they had gotten pregnant, they weren't married, and the remedy in 69, 70, the remedy back then was, um, we need to send you away. We need to send you away. We need to go, oh, they went and lived with their cousin for nine months, okay? And nine months you come back and everything's fine. Well, no, okay? But this, was, this is what happens. And you were to go to a place, you are to give up the baby, and these ladies are talking about their story. And I couldn't help but sit there and listen to these words. It was loads of guilt, loads of shame. You weren't allowed to tell anybody. You were told, you know what, someday you're going to get married. Don't you dare tell your future husband about this. I mean, it was just all this stuff over and over and over and over and over again that these ladies are telling their story. Now, I connected that with something. Right or wrong, we can discuss that, and you can tell me, oh, Ed, you don't know what you're talking about. Here's where I saw a connection. Anybody know what happened just after that? Early 70s, court case called Roe v. Wade. I, I'm sitting there going, well, why should any of us be surprised this happened? Why should anybody be surprised this happened? Because here's where the enemy loves to get his little foot in the door and say, you know, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to move away. You don't have to go anywhere. All you have to do is go to a doctor, and we can just end this. And, and, and we'll just eliminate this whole step, and it'll be better. Are we any wonder that took a foothold in our country? We any wonder why we've been battling this for 50 years? So if you are like me, and you were born after that court decision, the first thing you should do is thank God you're alive. The first thing you should be doing, okay? Just thank the Lord that this wasn't the case with your mother who did this. That's what you should be thankful for. But second, are we any wonder? I'm sitting there going, well, no, 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 the enemy got a foothold in that. And then convinced people, of course he did. Because this is what he loves to do. He loves to get into places where we just, come on, we, we can just be honest. We can just own some things. We didn't do that right. Okay? We didn't do that right. And we didn't know how to deal with it. So normally when we don't know how to, it just goes bad because, and it takes us a while to figure it out. 
because we didn't deal with it well. It led to all this and might have been one of the contributing factors to all this. And you're like, oh, man, we got to do better. We got we to do better. We got to do better because this could happen in other places as well. Where because we don't know what to do and we, always, and we just choose bad sometimes, we can just own that. We give a place for the enemy to get in and convince people to do things even worse. And then we're like, how did this happen? Perhaps, perhaps, because we didn't handle things very well. We just think about that. We just think about that. Who is that around us that we haven't helped, who are suffering, who are going through things, and it's just easier to exclude them to figure out how do we help them, how do we minister to them, how do we help them out. So that leads to the third uncomfortable question, right? What are we going to do? Because I'm going to tell you, and everybody knows this, it is easier to label people than to love people. It just is. That's much easier, isn't it? Just label somebody, oh, you're a this person, you're a that person. And we label people and we categorize people and we get everybody into nice, neat little rows and it helps us just deal with why at times we will not engage people and hope to lead people to Jesus. Just easier. Not telling you anything you don't know because we all know this and we all do this and we've all had this happen to us. But maybe we can make a different choice. Maybe we can make a different choice and go into a different direction. It is easier to exclude people than to bring them to Jesus. Just easier. Just easier to categories and exclude people rather than bring them to Jesus and see what he can do in a life. Which, by the way, that's how I want to end this morning. I want to make sure we all understand this. Because what Jesus did to the man that day was to bring meaning and honor back to a life. He brought it back. It was dead. It was gone. He was excluded. He was shunned. He was out of everybody's way. Nobody would go near him. They heard unclean and they ran. They got out of the way. Here's Jesus touching him. And what he does in that moment is bring meaning and honor back to a life in which it was gone. Perhaps we should understand that's what happens when we bring people to Jesus. That Jesus has the opportunity to bring meaning and honor back to a life where it has been robbed. It has been stolen. It has been taken away. Because the enemy loves to do this. He loves to do this. He loves to take meaning and honor away. Because if he can take meaning away and honor away, he has a great chance of, of just having us trapped for the rest of our lives and just stuck in whatever cycle he has us stuck in. The gospel urges us, urges us to be willing to be unclean and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's a hard task, I know. Right? Nobody, nobody in their day wanted to do it either. I'm sure disciples are like, what are you doing? What have I signed up for? What, why am I following you? I can't believe you're doing this. All the crowd would have been like, oh, my goodness, we're not supposed to be doing this. Okay? But that's what it urges us to do. Are we willing to do that in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus? We bring them to Jesus, and we watch him transform a life. This is important. 
Don't skip this step. We just skip this step. Oh, I just got to mention Jesus to them. And, and No, no, no. We bring them to Jesus and watch Jesus transform their life. Jesus does not leave everybody where they are. He meets people where they are to always bring him to himself to transform them. We miss this at times. The transforming part that Jesus wants to do. Oh, Jesus loves me. I'm just going to stay where I am. No, he loves you so much. He gives you what you need so you don't stay where you are. So you do move. So you are transformed. So you do become more and more and more like him. That's what I want us to consider this morning. That's what we ought to be a church about. Who can we help bring to Jesus and watch him transform their life? That's what this whole thing's about, and sometimes we just forget that. We can just be honest, we forget that. That that's what Jesus wants to do. That's what Jesus did constantly. That's what Jesus did to the woman called adultery. Then say, I'll go do whatever you want, right? Nope. He watched them all drop their stones, and he said, where's everybody who condemned you? And he says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go leave that life. There's all sorts of stories who that woman might have been. Is it someone who ended up following him? Is it one of the women who was ultimately at the, at the tomb that Sunday morning and, and saw the resurrected Christ? There's all sorts of speculation on that. But all the stories seem to indicate what? A transformed life. Not a return to whatever we did before. A transformed life because that's what Jesus absolutely loves to do. Loves to do that. So, we have to consider what type of church we want to be. If we want to see people come to Jesus and be transformed, then sometimes we got to be willing to be unclean, be the hands and feet of Jesus, to stop excluding people and to figure out where can we reach people and where does God give us opportunity to do that so we can see people be transformed. Top of this morning, think about this. We're going to take communion this morning. I'm going to ask our, our, our lead elder, Dave, to come up and help me. And, and we're just going to ask if you're on this side. I'll be over here. You can come up and um, there's two cups. One is the bread. One has the uh, juice in it. We ask you to uh, grab one, head back to your seat, and then we will eat and drink together. Uh, as we do that, would you remember the sacrifice of Christ? Do you understand if the, the gospel writers saw him do this, that ultimately the one who would be willing to be unclean, would ultimately be the one who was willing to take on our sin and die in our place and rise again for our salvation so that we could be free. That's what we're celebrating this morning with these two cups, that we would experience that. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to ask you to come forward and take the elements this morning, and then we will eat and drink together. Father, this morning, I know these are, these are hard and challenging words, and I pray that you would open our eyes to the people already around us. Already around us. You just come off the mountain and, 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 and ran into somebody. We do this all the time. We have people we know. We have people we have relationships with. And you've given us the opportunity to speak into their life. 
where you've not given an opportunity to other people, perhaps. And we have the opportunity. May we take it. Because we would love to see you take those lives and transform them and change them. You were so willing to be unclean. And then you were willing to take our sin upon you. To die in our place and rise again for our salvation. And the two elements we're about to take are going to remind us of that. So I pray as we do, you'd remind us of all the people around us that you have put into our lives to, to love, to reach out to, to bring them to you and watch you transform their lives. We don't do that. And we dare not just leave people where they are. May we be about bringing people to you and watching you transform a life. We pray your blessing upon the cup and the bread now. In Jesus' name, amen.